mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 130. This is the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective. We are powered by Audio-Technica, and I'm your host, John O'Peck. Back again with a very special guest today. We've got Doug Cockle on the show. You might know him. He's the voice of Geralt of Rivia from the Witcher series, the Butcher of Blaviken. That is definitely his most well-known role. But of course, non-video game fans might know the Witcher from the upcoming Henry Cavill Netflix series, which we had a chance to talk about. But Doug has also done a lot of acting work outside of voice acting and video games. Uh, He was in Band of Brothers... We had a chance to talk about his film roles alongside the likes of Gerald Butler, Jeffrey Rush, Pierce Brosnan, Christian Bale, Colin Hanks, Tom Hanks, and of course Matthew McConaughey. So a lot of great stories coming out of Doug. And as far as the acting side, he's got a pretty interesting story of someone that decided to move to the UK for his career. He wasn't able to line up for a lot of those Hollywood roles. He's had to find work other ways. So he's naturally had to go into a fair bit of theatre. And I guess that's also what led him into video games. He's been very studious as far as studying acting as well. So it's really great to talk to someone with this kind of classical training and really being able to grow with a character like Geralt because The Witcher started out as a fairly small video game, even though it was an RPG. The series has just grown so much from the first to the second and finally the third. It was great to hear his perspective on that, especially with it becoming the phenomenon that was The Witcher 3, one of the most successful and well-received video games of the current generation for sure. So so I really enjoyed talking to Doug. It was a great conversation. We had so much to talk about, including a Witcher sequel, Cyberpunk 2077, which CD Projekt Red are working on at the moment. And as I mentioned before, the Netflix Witcher series. This is also the first of a series of voice actor interviews that I'm hoping to do over the coming weeks if not months i've already got a couple others lined up so very exciting stuff watch this space there's plenty more to come just like doug but for now here he is it's doug cockle enjoy the show doug thank you so much for joining me it's awesome to meet you and, and chat it's already before we started recording i'm uh, i'm i'm thrilled to to talk to you thank you for doing the podcast oh thank you for having me on you're the first podcast in australia for me well, there you go. We have a few <laughs> podcasts out here. I'm not the only one, but uh, I'm glad that you you accepted because I'm a huge Witcher fan, or I've become a huge Witcher fan over recent years, and I fell completely into that game. And I'm sure we're, we're going to talk about that a lot. But you're the uh, the voice behind Geralt, and I want to know a bit more about you as an actor. I know that you didn't start out in video games. Let's go way back. Let's let's take the origin story out here. So you're in in high school. When did (laughs) acting become something on your horizon? Well, my mom, she passed away recently, but my mom used to say that I was always an actor (laughs) because when I was, when I was a kid, my sister and I used to mess around. We do little skits and little shows for my parents in our living room uh, when we lived in California so um yeah my mom was she always said yeah doug you were always an actor (laughs) but uh yeah i i guess i i really kind of um it was in high school i started i started doing drama classes i just did them for fun and i liked the people um but i never really thought of acting as a career i i originally i went to university as a pre-medicine biology major Mm. and i was gonna i was gonna be a doctor 
I had grand ideas. I was going to, I was going to go into uh, medicine and then obstetrics and gynecology and then genetics. And then I was going to figure out how to cure diseases in the womb before a baby was ever born. Wow. Yeah. I had read this article and, uh, I just really liked it. It was early days of genetic engineering and they were all, you know, uh, there were a lot of articles out there about the kind of miracles that it could, could provide for society. So is there an alternate universe where, where you've cured cancer or something? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there is. Yeah. Me and <laughs> me and Ultron, you know, we're out there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we, we got Geralt instead. Yeah. <laughs> this timeline's all right. Well, yeah. It, w what happened was um, uh, I, I didn't do very well in chemistry and um, and I wasn't very good at math either. Uh, I, I did it, but I wasn't great at it. And I started thinking about what I really wanted to do and and what I really liked. And, and someone said to me, look at yourself in 20 years. Where do you want to be? What do you want to be doing? And I kind of looked at myself and I went, actually, I don't, I don't really fancy the white lab coat doctor guy, um, hmm. researcher kind of guy. Um, and what I always really enjoyed in high school was drama. So I went and talked to the head of the um, theater arts department at Virginia Tech and had a nice chat with her. Uh, well, him at the time, actually. Um, it became a her. I don't know. I, I, I don't know quite how it happened. <laughs> I remember calling my dad and saying, Dad, I'm going to change my major to theater arts. And he said, oh, right, okay. What, what do you want to do? I said, well, I think I'm going to be an actor. And he said, oh, this is a military officer, mm. um, Marine Corps officer. And he said, uh, well, just be careful, son. Those people lead an alternative lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Compared to uh, what he probably was used to. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so he had to go from telling his friends that his son was going to be a doctor to telling them that you were going to be a, an actor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was great though. He was he was always really supportive, and um, yeah, you know, uh, I think he kind of got a kick out of it actually, because he was an artist when he was younger. He was um, mm. he liked to to draw, and he had he did some fantastic drawings. He used to do well. He was a wildlife biologist, but he used to draw the things that he found when he went out into the field and he was really good. So I think, you know, a part of him kind of went, you know, I get it. Yeah, that's cool. And so when did it kind of strike you that this is something that could be a career? Was it looking at your, you know, around your university and seeing people that were doing this, this acting thing and you thought, yeah, that's me. I'm sure that there's a way to make a living. Do you know, I don't think I really thought about it properly until several years after I graduated from university. It was just fun. I enjoyed it. I, I was good at it. I enjoyed it. it. It stroked my ego in the right kind of way. I met cool people doing it, uh, people who I enjoyed hanging out with. So I, I graduated and I went, I moved to Seattle where my family was from and uh, where my family were at the time and still are. And I did fringe theater and stuff like that. And even then, I think I was just messing around. I, I don't think I was really properly thinking about an acting career. And we're talking about the 90s, are we? Yeah, it would be, uh, yeah, 1993, I graduated from Virginia Tech uh, with a theater arts degree. So yeah, 1993, mid-90s, Seattle, grunge, um, you know, <laughs> Mud Honey, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, all that stuff, you know, it was all, all, it was kind of coming to the end of that era, but it was, it was, you know, it was part of that whole scene. 
Mm. Um, but it was it was when I was in Seattle and I started really thinking about it, and I was I was good. I was a, you know good as an actor, and I I enjoyed it. And I think that's when I really started to think about it as a career. And then then I decided I had some friends who had done uh, MFAs, Master of Fine Arts degrees. You know, talking with them about their experience of doing that, I thought, you know what? Think maybe I should go do that because it's kind of it's kind of the U.S. equivalent of going to drama school. Yeah, so I decided to go to graduate school, uh, partly because it's a teaching qualification in the States, and also because um, what I found out about it was that if you if you went to the right schools, you could get paid to go to school. That's handy. So I, I ended, yeah, I ended up going to Penn State University, and I, I taught undergraduate non-major acting for three years, mm. and they covered my tuition and gave me some money to live on, and I, I played for three years, and it was fantastic. That's great. And I guess having a teaching experience would kind of supplement your career as a aspiring actor when the roles aren't necessarily pouring in. You've got something to fall back on, whether that's teaching at university or, or teaching elsewhere. Yeah, well, yeah, it's not it's not quite as easy as that. But I mean, you know, it, it, it sounds good. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't do a lot of private coaching or anything like that. But I did teach for 13 years full time. I ran a BA honors acting course at the Arts University in Bournemouth, uh, which is where I live and sure. um left that in 2017 so i actually did all of the witcher while i was teaching full-time <laughs> which would be uh an interesting kind of contrast between using that that very deep gruff voice and then having to come into uh, <laughs> a room full of kids who are probably talking about video games in between classes and <laughs> you know they didn't even clock it they didn't know i mean it, it was only the last few years because witcher 3 came out in 2015 and um i left in 2017 so it was really only from late 2015 onwards that students kind of clocked what i was doing they, they knew i was still a professional actor they knew i was still working professionally in various ways and that i did video games but a lot of them didn't clock that i was the main voice in the witcher uh, right. For quite a while, but when they did, it, it was funny because some of them would just be so funny in the hallways. <laughs> yeah, this kind of this kind of weird hero worship. I mean, it was lovely. It was lo it was really lovely, but it was cute. It was cute as well. <laughs> you, you didn't get kids asking you for a game of Gwent or anything like that. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, the cheeky ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but these are like you know, they, uh, you know, they're university students, so they're, most of them are yeah. eighteen plus. It was it was it was kind of fun when when they started clocking that you know that I was Geralt. <laughs> I mean, IMDb's just sitting there. If I had an acting teacher, I think I would I'd look them up just to see what their experience was. Do you know? Oh away. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they should, they should. But you know what? And to all of those listening, don't trust IMDb. Do not trust it. <laughs> IMDb is not to be trusted because it sounds like you've got a, a story. <laughs> Well, no, it's just experience. It's I, I've done loads and loads and loads of games, and only about half of them can go on IMDb oh. because um, for various reasons. Because IMDb has to verify everything. If right. if I'm in a game or on a television show or whatever, if the producers don't officially put themselves on IMDb, mm. then I can't say that I was part of it. I can't put that work on IMDb. Right. So I think, you know, a lot of a lot of actors out there only have part of their CV or, the, or sure. their resume on IMDb because they just can't put the rest of it on. 
What's the uh, the biggest thing you've done that's not on IMDb? Oh gosh, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's there's a, there are a number of games, some recent that I've tried to put on IMDb and I just couldn't. I have to go look at it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Uh, I think we'll definitely be coming back to some more Witcher talk. But if we go back to, I guess, you know, finishing your studies. What uh, was that experience like of, I guess, trying to land work? Because that seems to be something that a lot of actors struggle with is, you know, getting their agent, getting their big break, getting to somewhat of a regular paycheck and not having to work at, you know, Kmart on weekends and that kind of thing. Well, you know, I think the, I think the unfortunate truth is that the vast majority of actors in the world, 99.5% of them, um, have to do something else uh, mm-hmm. because it's it's really only the the names um, or the you know the the people who are incredibly fortunate, hardworking as well you know hardworking but incredibly fortunate. Uh, the Mark Strongs of this world, you know, Mar- I don't know if you know Mark Strong. Not by name. See, but this I'm is sure I this is the, the voice. this is exactly that's exactly why I brought him up because he's a a marvelous actor, fantastic. And he's been doing films, and he, he I saw him in a view from the bridge at the New Vic uh, in London, and he was incredible. Um, big guy, he's like six and a half feet tall, bald. Oh, and yeah, um, I just looked him up. I do, yeah, I recognize him from the Kingsman movies. Yeah. He's got a pretty big role in those. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Okay. But like, hardly anybody knows him. He's not a name name, but he, yes, he right. works regularly. Uh, because he's good, um, but he's one of those hardworking, fortunate few. Um, yeah, most people have to do other things um, to, uh, you know, to keep bread on the table, as it were. So I, I would have to divide my own experience into two categories, or, or not two categories, two eras. When I first graduated from Virginia Tech, from undergrad, um, I went to Seattle and I worked mostly for free. I didn't make any money at, at all, really. I did a few commercials. Um, I did some profit shares, things like that, but I made no money really from acting. I just did it for the love of it. Um, Mm. I did all kinds of things. I drove shuttle buses for the airport. Um, I, I worked in an, uh, antique store that wasn't really an antique store and sold secondhand (laughs) books. Um, I, uh, what else did I do? Oh, I was a handyman for a while. Um, I did all kinds of things to actually make money, but acting was just something I did for for love Uh, and then I went to grad school and then stupidly I moved to England I say stupidly because instead of LA (laughs) yeah exactly instead of LA or New York I mean all my friends were going to LA or New York or Chicago places like that I moved to England where I knew no one an American in London and I kind of fell on my feet really because I suppose what happened was I professionalized myself going to grad school and I came out of grad school with a different kind of purpose in terms of mm. my career. When I graduated from undergrad, I was still young and just having fun. I didn't really have a, a distinct purpose in life. But coming out of grad school, I, I knew what I was going for. I knew what I wanted to do. So when I, when I arrived in England, July 1999, uh, uh, my wife and I moved to England. It wasn't long after we arrived. My my wife's family live in York, uh, up up in, in the north of England, and um, I was walking past the York Theatre Royal, and I saw that they were doing *The Glass Menagerie* by Tennessee Williams, and I thought, "Oh, an American play! 
here in York. And here I am. So I went in and I asked about it and they said, oh, well, you know, we're just starting to do auditions. And so I, I went home, printed off my, my CV and got a headshot and went, walked it back and handed it in and said, I'd like to audition for The Glass Menagerie, please. And the artistic director who was directing the play, the artistic director of York Theatre Royal, Damien Cruden, um, who's still there, uh, he called me in later that afternoon and we had a coffee and a chat and he invited me down to callbacks in London where I met Honor Blackman, who um, was going to play Amanda. Honor Blackman, uh, she was in the original Avengers. Um, oh, cool. And um, was she Octopussy? Uh, she was a Bond girl. I think, All right. I think she was Octopussy, and she was incredible. But anyway, so I went and and I did the callback, and Damien basically asked me which role I wanted. <laughs> so I I walked into I, I I arrived in England and I literally walked into the York Theatre Royal, which was fantastic. And on the back of that, I got an agent, and various things happened. Yeah. And is it very much a snowball effect that slowly builds or it must feel at points that you go into ditches and come across hills and it's not so much a, a downhill thing, right? Yeah, it's it, 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 for me, it wasn't really a snowball effect kind of thing. It was definitely fits and starts. Hmm. I played the gentleman caller in The Glass Menagerie and the woman who ended up being my agent, Philippa, she came to see the play and afterwards she met with me and she said well you're a fantastic actor i really like your your work but well, i don't know what to do with an american in england <laughs> so we we didn't have an official relationship she just kind of said well uh, you know let's i'll keep you in mind i'll put you up for things if they come through and we'll see how things go um so about 3 or 4 weeks later she called me up and she said uh, there's this company in harrogate which was not far from york uh, they do voiceovers for video games and they're looking for a genuine American accent. Are you interested in going to an audition? I said, yeah, sure. I was still doing Glass Menagerie. Uh, yeah, sure, I can go uh, during the day. I've got, you know, to show it in the evening. So I went and I auditioned for this video game. Uh, it was a company called Outsource Media. They still work. They're still working. They're, they're great and I still work with them. Um, cool. A guy named Mark Esdale runs it. And... Uh, I auditioned for a game called Independence Edge of Chaos. Uh, I forget. Anyways, Edge of Chaos was the kind of after the colon thing. What kind of game was that? It was a, it was a, a kind of an RPG, an early RPG. Um, I played the main character, Cal. Um, so yeah, I went to my first audition. I'd never done in video games. I'd never really done much voiceover work. Uh, so I was learning on the job how to work with a microphone and stuff. Um, yeah, but I got the lead role, and uh, then it just kind of that did snowball because outsource media they liked me. Uh, I was good. I found I was good at it, um, and they just kept bringing me back. And eventually, along the way, it it turned into The Witcher. That's cool. So before we get into games, because I have a lot of questions, uh, there's some live action stuff that you've at least been involved with. That's pretty cool. Uh, I guess Band of Brothers would be mm. the one that uh, a lot of your fans might know about. You were the chaplain. I mean, that must have been a pretty big thing for you, even if it, it didn't, you know, you weren't like a, the starring, you know, hero role of, of the episode. But to work with those people must have been pretty amazing. It was time. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I got to know some of those guys, some of them, you know, big names now. It was good fun. What was really great, though, 
I do have stories about Band of Brothers. Um, I want to hear them. I was on it for six months. Uh, I was contracted six for six months. But I was only, in the end, I was only in two episodes. But I filmed in five of them. So I ended up a lot on the cutting room floor. But a lot of guys did. There was a, there was a guy uh, whose full name I forget. I think his first name was Seth. David Schwimmer. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it was Seth. It might be <laughs> Seth Green actually but i just remember one day because i wasn't on set all the time i was contracted for six months but i spent a lot of that sitting in my house because i i had to i had to stay in my in my flat in london until i was given the all clear in the afternoon because i was kind of on call so you know and, and occasionally they would call me up and say right we need you in we're sending a car and I'd jump into a car and they'd drive me up to Hatfield and in Hertfordshire where we were filming. And, you know, mostly I knew when I was going in, but I was on call a lot. But I went in one time uh, on call and I was in the back of a Jeep being driven with mm. a, bunch, a bunch of other guys to location. And uh, this guy, I said, how's it going? You know, I haven't seen you guys in a little while because at that point I think it had been a couple of weeks since I'd been on set. And uh, and he said, "Oh man, I'm so pissed off. I'm just a green blob." <laughs> I was like, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, you know, because he was a, he was a named character. He was he was more of a named character than I was. I was Father Maloney, right. but he was like one of the um, one of the main guys. And he was pissed off because at least at that point in time, he felt like he was just a green blob on the screen, just one of many green blobs." You know, but it, it was it's one of those things I always remember because as actors, we're such egotists. You know, we want to be in the center of the screen. We want to have our screen time and stuff like that. Um, and, and we forget that, you know, really our, our job is to serve the public, to tell the story. But it's so easy to just feel like you're a green blob. <laughs> to be able to work with like did you have interactions with steven spielberg tom hanks these people that were involved in the series not steven spielberg i never met steven spielberg but i met tom hanks and his son colin hanks who was in the yeah. in the yep. series as well who's gone on to do uh, good things i love colin hanks yeah he's 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 lovely actually he was really friendly you know quite modest considering you know who his father is <laughs> um yeah I, I met tom hanks he was a nice guy it was only very briefly but uh, yeah, lovely guy, really nice. Great, and I guess that that time, that kind of early two thousands, you had the opportunity to work on some films with some pretty big names, Rain of Fire and Taylor of Panama. Yeah, did you have similar interactions there? With I mean, those movies had people like Pierce Brosnan and Christian Bale attached to them. Were, were your scenes crossing over at all? I met Jeffrey Rush very briefly on the yeah. set of. Taylor of Panama. I wasn't in a scene with him. He, we actually ran. Not, I didn't meet him on set. I met him in the cafeteria, um, <laughs> literally bump trays. And I said, "Oh, hello, hello. Oh, okay. uh, you're Jeffrey Rush." He said, "Oh, hello. Who are you?" <laughs> 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 it was. He was a nice guy. Um, yeah, I, I didn't meet anybody big on Taylor of Panama, but I, who I would have loved to have met is Jamie Lee Curtis. Right. She was on Taylor of Panama. I, I think that's right. I'm pretty it's sure she. Ago. Yeah, I think she was the wife. I think she was Jeffrey Rush's wife in in um, mm. Taylor of Panama. Yeah, on Reign of Fire, I did meet those guys because um, it was Matthew McConaughey, Christian Bale, Jerry Butler, Gerard Butler, 
who's oh, yeah. who's a yep. big name now. He wasn't at the time. He was only just kind of starting to build his his star power then. And Isabella Skorupko, who was a a Bond girl um, at one point. And I I hung out a little bit with all of them. Uh, not so much with um, Christian Bale. He kind of kept himself to himself. But we we mm. we had words. <laughs> we had a few words. Uh, but. Me and Matthew McConaughey, actually, we became kind of not friends, but friendly because um, he every morning he had to go into the makeup truck and get his tattoos redrawn on him. Right. um, So they were fresh and stuff. So he he would end up spending hours in the makeup truck. And somehow I always ended up going into the makeup truck at the same time he did. So we'd sit there and chat and stuff. And I was only ever in, in the makeup truck for, you know, 15, 20 minutes tops. But, uh, you know, we always had a nice, uh, you know, we had a laugh, actually. We were telling, telling yeah. each other jokes and stuff like that. Um, he was lovely. He was lovely. Um, mm. I, I hung out a bit more with Jerry Butler, actually. <laughs> we used to go out. And um, he didn't drink at all. He's, he was a um, recovering alcoholic. He, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't mind me saying that. He, he's very free about that. Um, I don't know if he was, like, full-blown, but he, he identified early on for himself that he and alcohol didn't mix well. Right. So he only ever drank um, sparkling water. No, we used to, we went out a couple nights, we went to the pubs and stuff, and I'd, I'd have a pint of beer and he'd have sparkling water and um, he'd hit on the ladies and, and um, I was married, so I didn't, <laughs> mm. but I'd admire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he did very well uh, in the UK, especially. So I guess beyond, you know, how cool it is to meet these people, did you have like a takeaway experience of those interactions, those sets and being around the, you know, those high level casts and crews. And I guess, how did that shape your approach going forward even? Well, I think there's a fantastic children's book and it's called Everybody Poos. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that that's a good example of what I came away with. Um, I don't think I was ever really, truly, properly starstruck, you know, to the point of not being able to function or something like that. But I think what I what I learned being around people who were relatively big stars was that for the most part, they're just people um, mm. and they're just doing their job and they all poo. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we all get up in the morning and have a good poo. You know, that's 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 a universal experience, uh, you know, so um, I think I've, I've taken that away that, you know, whenever I, I have um, and I continue to meet, you know, people who are influential or, uh, you know, have done important or interesting work and things like mm. that. And I always just remind myself before I meet them, they had to get up this morning and have a poo, you know, <laughs> there's nothing that special about them. They're just another person. They just happen to have yeah. done some really cool work. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to disarm any nerves that might might be creeping in if in those interactions. But yeah. <laughs> in terms of uh, like being part of these high budget productions, did that give you a a taste for for Hollywood? I suppose, and and the feeling that you wanted to be involved in that kind of thing more. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> there is something really cool about being being a named character in something that's big budget um cars come and pick you up you have a driver um you know they give you water people you know you have a trailer you can hang out in people bring you food you know uh, you know 
people treat you really well. Almost, it's and it's 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 weird. It's weird. I can't imagine what it must be like for people like you know Tom Cruise and Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> and you know people who are really big. You know, I mean, I tried consciously to be modest about it when when I was being treated with a degree of specialty specialness mm -hmm. because that's who i am you poo i poo yeah yeah <laughs> but but I, I i suppose also because i i kind of grew up in the industry in situations where i was crew you know i i, I hung lights i i i did lighting design i built sets i you know yeah. did stage management um, at various points, I've, you know, I've not always just been an actor. I've always been also part of a bigger team, and I've been very aware mm -hmm. of that. And I think most actors are, but some aren't. Um, some aren't. That's when when you get the divas. You know, they forget that the floor manager on a television series is as important as the person in front of the camera. Um, it's easy to do. It's it's really easy to do. Um, so I can't imagine what it must be like for someone who's a really big name because everybody around them is kowtowing to them. And some of them, I'm, I'm sure, you know, take advantage of that. And some of them mm. don't want to, but have to. Because I found when I was being treated special that there was very little I could do to stop them doing that. It just happens. <laughs> I guess that's their job to them. Like they need to treat you like that that's i think they've been instructed to do yeah i think that's part of it yeah is that, you know that that's their job so you kind of have to let them get on with their job even if you feel awkward about it very good okay so video games were you a gamer going into like edge of chaos and later the witcher what was your i guess nerdy background were you did you feel like that was a foreign world to you or was it very much an, a natural thing for you to step into that universe oh gosh you know when i started doing it it was 1999 and it was really early days of voiceovers in video games. Yeah. I played video games before that. I played Doom, the very first Doom. Uh, mm -hmm. Enjoyed that. I had a, I had, you know, the the first real Atari system. <laughs> uh, Definitely no voice acting there. No, I mean that was that was <laughs> tanks and pong and yeah. you know, <laughs> it, was, it was early days. Yeah, wow. So yeah, I kind of grew up. <laughs> I mean, one of my favorite games growing up was Pitfall. I don't know if you know Pitfall. Mm. Uh, yeah, I know um, Pitfall. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was one of my favorite games. Um, but yeah, no voiceovers in any of those things. It was, it was you know, 16-bit sound and uh, not even that, 8-bit sound. Uh, you know, beep, 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 <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> so so when you landed this role in a, in a video game, did you have to kind of... Like, were you familiar with, with recent games that had voice, or did you have to kind of do a little bit of research? I didn't have a computer that could play those games. Yeah. I, didn't, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even play video games. So it was after Independence War II that I actually bought a computer that was capable of playing some video games. And mm. the video game that I ended up playing most was a, uh, um, one of the early multi- player online games it was called asheron's call by microsoft sure. and it, this is this is before world of warcraft and all that stuff certainly well before fortnite and those kinds of games 
Uh, but Ashron's Call was an RPG, and you created a character, and you went into this world, and you leveled up, and did all this stuff. But there were there were no there were no voices in that either. So it really was early days for voiceovers and games. Uh, I kind of you know I got in right at the beginning of when that was starting to be a thing. Mm. So I was I was very fortunate in that regard. Yeah, that's an interesting point you touch on there. In that auditioning for The Witcher, the original Witcher in. 2000 and whatever compared to if if you were to audition for the witcher 3 now the amount of people that are wanting to pick up that that voice role it would be insane difference because of how much the franchise has grown as, along with the video game voice actor talent pool i guess so yeah in some ways i without taking anything away from you know your hard work to get to that point you've uh, you kind of lucked into a, a really amazing role yeah i did I lucked into it twice. Uh, the first time was when I auditioned for Witcher 1. The good people at CD Projekt liked what they heard and they, you know, had me come in and be Geralt. So I, got, I, I did Witcher 1, but I almost didn't continue with the series. I was teaching. I, I was running a BA Honors acting course. So I was very busy. But a friend of mine called me one day and said, Hey, uh, Doug, um, I had an audition today and it was for this character named Geralt. Uh, in in The Witcher, <laughs> he said, um, I, "I thought you were Geralt. You, 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 you told me that you did Witcher One." I said, "Yeah, I did." And he said, "Oh, well, they're obviously recasting." Yeah. And so I was like, "Okay, uh, that's weird," because I assumed I knew that there was going to be a Witcher Two, and I assumed that I would just be mm. carried over. So I got in touch with a guy at CD Projekt I knew named Boris. What's the deal? Yeah, I said, yeah, basically, what's, what's the, the deal? deal? I heard, I heard you're auditioning for Geralt. Um, I can completely understand. You might want to, you know, rethink things, but um, I'd be happy to audition again. And he was like, okay, cool, all right. And he went and talked to the director, uh, the 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 new director of Witcher Two, of the voice vo- voice acting, and um, I don't know if she had listened to my work or if she just hadn't. I think possibly she hadn't. It was also a new studio doing the voice. New studio, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Outsource Media did Witcher 1, and then for all all kinds of reasons that are their own, CD Projekt decided to to go with a different studio, a different voiceover studio for Witcher 2 and 3. So, yeah, she listened listened to my work on Witcher 1. She went, actually, he's really good. Um, Why don't we just keep him? And he went, all right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I ended up being brought back in, but I didn't know that until I went in for my first session as Witcher, as Geralt in Witcher Two, and, and I asked mm. Kate. I'd, I'd, I'd only just met her, but I, I said to Kate, "I'm kind of nervous because I don't know why I wasn't brought over." And she said, "Oh, it wasn't personal. Uh, CD Projekt decided to go back to the table for the whole of Witcher Two. Um, that's why they moved over to Side from Outsource Media. They decided to right. just, you know." go with everything completely brand new so yeah so i almost wasn't brought back <laughs> it's a it's a real sliding doors situation if you didn't uh get that conversation with with your friend who who knows maybe david Hayter or someone else is, yeah. is the girl that most people know <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i mean who knows and so going back to the first witcher did you have a sense that there was something special there i mean what like you're sitting there recording line after line of this uh, this very gruff voice, and I guess it's it's hard to envision what the game could be, even in that early stage. Yeah, well, Witcher One was just another job. Um, the the books weren't out in English, so I couldn't 
do any real research on it. Mm. I, I I don't speak Polish, obviously, so I I couldn't <laughs> couldn't do much. Um, even the early television series, uh, the Polish one, I don't think that was available yet on YouTube or anything like that. It was just another job. I was just doing doing a gig. Um, it was a week we spent up in Sheffield. A week, wow. Yeah, recording Witcher One. Um, long days. There were like ten hour days. Um, you must have lost your voice. I did like three days. Yeah, ago. yeah, I did. <laughs> it was hard. It was hard going. Um, it was really hard going, but it was fun as well. So, yeah, Witcher One. I I had no idea. It was a, a complete unknown. But it was an interesting world. Mm. I liked the world that was being that I was being introduced to. Um, yeah. But it was a lot of stuff. A lot, a lot, you know, like monsters I'd never heard of. Leshens. What the heck is a leshen? Yeah. You know, <laughs> now we know, but back then I had no idea what it was. So yeah. the guys, the CD Project guys, there were like five of them, and sometimes they were disagreeing. So it was me recording, and them, all five of them on the other side of the glass, and and uh, they were all directing me. And sometimes they were giving me contradictory direction because <laughs> it was all new to them. You know, they were they they didn't yeah. they'd never worked with actors before. It was their first big game. Yeah. It's an amazing story of, of like of evolution for them and how they got to where they are now. You know, oh, they're incredible. They're absolutely amazing. I have such admiration for CD Projekt. Mm. Um, I mean, they started out as a as a couple of guys selling knockoff copies yeah. of games <laughs> on CDs. That's why they're called CD Projekt. Been released in their country. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's insane. So coming into the second Witcher game, had you a sense by then that this is something that's going to be quite special, that there's a, a real you know, world being built here, that this game has, I guess, some ability to have a cultural impact? Or was it not until the third game that that really happened? Yeah, there was an inkling of it in Witcher 2. Um, mm -hmm. Did you approach the Witcher 2 in a different way, like as far as Geralt and, and your performance? I did, but I think that it was a, it was a, um, I mean, everything as an actor is a collaboration. You're always, in any acting, you're always collaborating with multiple people, other actors, mm. a director, or or directors. I mean, on Witcher two and three, there were at least three directors, a main director, but two others who I worked with regularly, the writer or writers multiple writers on on the witcher games um so it's always a collaboration i think what was notable for me in terms of the journey that i went on with the witcher was um Geralt's emotional life from mm. between witcher one and the end of the dlcs for witcher three you know when we started out Geralt was described to me as completely and utterly emotionless and if you've played Witcher 3, Blood and Wine, you know that he's anything but emotionless. Um, and I, uh, you know, right from the beginning, I, I was like, he can't be emotionless. That's not, you know, <laughs> that's not possible. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. Yeah. It also doesn't allow for any, any character journey. Um, but also as an actor, I mean, that's what we do. Actors are you know, <laughs> all about playing with human emotion. Yeah. I wanted to ask about that, actually, I guess. You've got the challenge there of conveying personality with a limited range of emotion. Mm. Some people would say he's monotone. They'd say it's like a 
Like, uh, he does. He tr- he's at least trying not to show his emotions. He's kind of trying to not give away his hand, so to speak. So, how do you try and give an interesting performance or a, a varied performance when there's so much nuance in in what you're able to to do? Because you can't just here's like a like the happy Geralt versus mm. the angry Geralt. Like the the scope is so much more shrunk compared to you know Spider Man or like you know yeah <laughs> another character that has the ability to just freely emote. Yeah, I I've always seen performing Geralt as a as an exercise in subtlety. Mm. And CD Project are not shy at all about coming back and saying, Doug, that's too much. Um, you know, dial it back, dial it back. I mean over the years I think I've 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 learned where to gauge it, but but what what happened over the years is that C D Project recognized increasingly as the as the games went on that there was there was scope for Geralt to have an emotional life mm-hmm. and that it allowed them to do things with that character that that him being emotionless didn't allow um so the writing that I was being presented with was increasingly giving opportunities for Geralt to have an emotional life and me being the actor that I am, I would always push that. So between us, this is why going back to the collaboration thing between us, between yeah. City Projects writers and developers and me and the directors who I was working with, we all kind of gradually allowed Geralt to become more. Yeah, more, just more. I was going to say more emotional, but it wasn't just more emotional. It's just more um, allowed him to have more more dimensions than he had in the first game when you have like a 120 plus hours of story or however however people decide to play these games you're gonna have to give people something to stay attached and i think that the performance is so important in that because you're with Geralt literally the whole time right yeah 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 i I was never yarpin zigrin or dandelion or anybody else i was always Geralt. That was a lot of time in the booth. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you spent a week on the first one. How many weeks or hours do you know Witcher 3 took up? Well, Witcher 1 was roughly 50 hours of recording for me, mm-hmm. give or take. I think I would be roughly correct if I said that Witcher 3 with the DLCs was somewhere in the region of 500 hours. Something like that. that. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's probably there's probably fifty hours of uh, of dialogue, and then you've got sp- sp- like branching dialogue options. Yeah. You've probably you know got all your outtakes and multiple takes, and yeah, can easily see how that adds up to five hundred. It's no surprise at all. Yeah, but it was all done over. I mean, Witcher three and the DLCs uh, was over the course of about four years, so it's mm. not like I was in every day doing witcher stuff because yeah. the, the the writing would emerge you know it was a it was a process so i'd go in be, I, and i was teaching full-time as well i was i was running a, an undergraduate acting degree so i couldn't just disappear for two months or whatever so i'd go up to london for sometimes two to two or three days a week for three or four weeks and then there would be nothing for three or four weeks and then i'd go up again mm-hmm. for two weeks you know so it was over the course of four years there were it was fits and starts of recording 
And have you kind of developed the muscle that it requires to do that voice for long periods of time? Or is it is it a lot more manageable to, to break it up the way they did? Oh, now the voice just comes out. It just exists in my soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's a funny thing, actually, because, uh, I mean, I joke. Um, some, sometimes people ask, you know, did you have to work on the voice? And yes, I did. I, in Witcher 1, it was a real push t- to do it. But now... I, I've I, I joke that I've I've injured my voice so much that that <laughs> now that voice is just part of me, um, but it's actually it's actually training. It's like with bodybuilding, you know, you have to break down muscles in order to build them back up, and that's kind of what mm. I did with my voice and doing Geralt. And now, um, I mean, literally, if I'm just walking around the house, and I'm just I mean, you can hear it. I'm slipping into it now, and all I'm doing is is just talking a bit softer and talk, talking more like I talk to myself. So if I'm just walking around the house and I'm talking to myself, suddenly I'll be, I'll hear Geralt say things like, ah, damn it, I really need to fold that laundry. You know what I mean? But it's just me. It's just, you know, so Geralt actually is just part of me now. I think there's a, a market for like Geralt saying the most un-Geralt things possible. <laughs> like, like, let's give you some like, why can't I connect to the Wi-Fi? Why can't I connect to the Wi-Fi? What's the Wi-Fi code here? Uh, crap. I don't have any clean underwear. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's all. That's the only reason that I contacted you, Doug, was to, to get that out of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can only imagine being a voice actor. It's like you must have conversations where it's only a matter of time until people ask me to do the voice <laughs> when you're talking to a fan or something. Yeah, well, it's 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 one of those things, isn't it? I think it's. Um, I mean, I totally get it. I I I never mind when people ask me to say something as Geralt. I have to be careful about what I say. Um, there have been more than a few times when I've had to say I can't say that really, you know, especially if it's something that's being recorded, right? Um, because I don't I don't actually own Geralt. I mean, I'm I'm the voice of Geralt. That could change in the future. I mean, obviously, you know, Henry Cavill's playing Geralt in the mm. Netflix series, and he'll he'll have his own version of Geralt's voice and Geralt's yes being. We can't wait to hear it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really I'm I, I'm excited to see the Netflix series. I really uh, think that the voice is going to be. You know, people w- will complain about the look, and it's very easy to say that it's obviously has to be different. You know, even comparing it to how Geralt looked at the start of The Witcher versus Witcher 3, there's some allowances yeah. you can make there. But it's the voice that I think will be the ultimate like make or break for <laughs> for how, how his uh, performance is kind of accepted by our community. <laughs> oh, I, I you know, I, I think that's amazing. I, I love how passionate people have been about... You know, I, I get messages and people post things saying, you know, you got to have Doug dub in, you know, <laughs> the voice for Geralt. You can't can't do anything else. Um, Can you imagine, I, I, like, I, this million-dollar, like, Hollywood superstar, Superman, getting his voice overdubbed by, by Doug Cockle? That'd, that'd be fantastic. Oh, that'd be incredible. But, <laughs> but, but it, it won't happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's... Um, but I love the passion that yeah. you know that that results in. Mm. I'm looking forward to seeing what Henry does. Yeah, I think 
I think we all are, and and not just Henry, but I guess the whole team yeah, behind it and the how, whole team. how well they capture. This is the thing: is that you know, people when when Henry was first cast, um, people were crazy. Some people were like, "Yeah, Henry's going to be great," and some a lot of people were like, "Oh man." Uh, and then as the rest of the casting came out, um, you know, people are, you know... It happens with every role, every adaption. Yeah, yeah. So many people are just haters. It's 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 really tiring. But I, I think the thing is, and what I, what I keep trying to remind people is that, you know, it's not just Henry. Mm. It's not just Freya who's playing Ciri. Um, it's not just these individuals there's a whole team Mm -hmm. and lauren histrich the 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 lead on the series she's amazing you know she's really talented she's a fantastic writer um and she has a whole team around her of amazing people and they're all fans in one way or another of of the of the books and of the games Mm. um and they're just trying to make the best possible witcher tv series they can yeah and you know, there's a lot to be said for that. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what they've what they've made. I think it's going to be good. Me too. I really hope that there's like a whole episode just dedicated to like Gwent. It's just like Henry Cavill <laughs> playing cards for 40 minutes and you know, <laughs> with the Gwent I, music soundtrack playing. What I really wanted. Uh, uh, th- this doesn't have anything to do with Gwent, but it could. It could have, have something to do with Gwent. Um, I doubt very much Gwent is featured at all. I don't think Gwent is even in the books. I think it's something that um, CD Projekt made up. For it's got to be like at least an Easter egg or something. Though. Come on. Yeah, I want it to be an Easter egg. <laughs> I jokingly suggested, uh, well, jokingly but seriously, uh, suggested to Lauren at one point in a, in a DM chat that we were having <laughs> on Twitter. I said, you should write me in. You should write me in and I should be like a very small character um, in every episode. And there sh- it should be like, where's Waldo? <laughs> you know, uh, but where's Doug in the Witcher series? You know, I, I'm like a blacksmith in one. Um, I'm a bartender in another. You know, I thought that would be funny. It would but... be great. They might be <laughs> going go for, for that. They might be too. They might be going for a more serious <laughs> angle. But hey, yeah. if you want to find a way to please the uh, the fanboys out there, like that's that's just it's it's, it's right there for the taking. <laughs> yeah. I should just be like, you know, I should be that bartender and, you know, Geralt goes and gets some mead and, and the bartender, you know, who's me, just goes, here you go. <laughs> yeah, the internet would just break down, or at least part of the internet, <laughs> the part that we occupy. It'd be fantastic. But like, I guess Witcher yeah. 3, we're, we're looking at this show and you were talking about the reaction to it and a lot of people like myself, I'm a, a PlayStation guy. I wasn't even able to access the stories of the witcher until the witcher 3 came along and it's been so successful and so praised that people are comparing the show to this one game in this series of three for you working on that game and knowing that it's obviously going to be a larger game it's more work for you there's more lines of dialogue did you have a sense that it was going to be something that i would say at least in, in the communities that i'm part of in the discussions for probably the best game of this generation of of video games yeah do you know um i mean i knew witcher 3 was going to be special i i did know that but to be completely honest i don't think it really hit me how big it was until a full year after it came out well 
what made me realize just how iconic Witcher 3 and Geralt had become. I, I, I was nominated for a BAFTA in mm. 2016 for my work as Geralt. And I went to the BAFTA nominee, nominees party um, at this venue in London. And I had got to know a video games journalist. And her name was Julia Hardy, is Julia Hardy. She's still a video games journalist. She works for BBC now. Julia was a big fan of The Witcher, and we had had several interviews. Anyway, so at the nominees party, we were hanging out, and I kind of tacked myself on to her because I didn't really know anybody. It was a whole world I wasn't really entirely comfortable with because it was new. Mm. And I was still teaching full-time as well, so I lived in this world that was very not celebrity, and... And then occasionally I'd be thrust into this kind of celebrity world, and it was very weird. So at this nominees party, she was my anchor. She was somebody I knew. Anyways, end of the night came, and <laughs> I was still hanging out with, with Julia. And she said, Doug, do you have any idea, do you honestly have no idea how big The Witcher 3 is? And I was like, oh, no, I know it's been. And she goes, no, you have no idea how iconic it is. You know, and th this is coming from someone whose business is talking about games. Mm. And it was it was her saying that that finally kind of switched me on to the fact that I was part of something really, really special. But that was more than a year after it came out, I think. So it, it I knew it was something cool. I knew it was something important. And I knew it was something that people really liked but i think it was it was that comment from julia mm. that kind of brought it home just how just how important it might be sure and you played the game i know i've read that you finished the game what was your experience actually sitting down and spending 80 or 100 hours with yourself <laughs> in some ways yeah well it's always a bit weird playing a game that i that i'm acting in and i've, I've played several is there ever a moment that you that you forget that it's you, or is that impossible? Yeah, no, 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 no. There, there is. Um, uh, I, I, I lose myself in the story. Mm. Um, it's partly why I'm an actor. I love stories. I love hearing stories, watching stories, telling stories. Um, that's what being an actor is. It's, it's a you're a storyteller. Uh, so I get lost in the story, but <laughs> I suppose especially with with The Witcher. I can't help but be self-critical as well. Yeah. So I'll be playing and I'll and I'll, you know, it'll be a cut scene or something like that. And I'll suddenly go, "Oh, man. I could have done that so much better. Who let that slide?" You know, <laughs> such little moments where, you know, I I I can hear in my performance something that I wish I could do again. Hmm. I guess that's pretty natural. So whether you're yeah. a writer, an artist, an actor, if you're doing anything that has any level of subjectivity, you're always going to judge it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can't help it. I, but, you know, it's, um, I mean, I find it, I, I don't do as much film and television as I would like, but, you know, the, the, the bits I have done, I find really hard to watch. It's hard to watch yourself. Hmm. And there are some actors who absolutely refuse to watch their own performances um and i can totally understand why but you know 
sometimes the best way to learn where your own strengths and weaknesses lie is by watching your own performance or listening to it. Yeah. I can tell just from the amount of podcasts I've had to edit listening to myself that, yeah, you're definitely, (laughs) you you always notice the things that you do wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's easy, isn't it? It's, it's, it's really easy. I was talking to my son the other day about something similar and, and I said, well, you know, the things we tend to remember are the bad things, mm-hmm. uh, the things that we've done wrong or that have gone wrong or that were not pleasant, partly because they stand out because there are, we don't think about it, but there are so many more pleasant things that we do experience. And so those, those moments when things are bad are kind of like punctuation marks in the paragraph of our lives. There's a bit of philosophical nonsense for you. <laughs> I think if you only focused on the good things, though, you'd probably never improve as well. There's, there's that aspect to it, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If you listen to your voice performance and just thought, I'm amazing, I don't, I don't need to... <laughs> I don't, I don't need to How? fix anything. I don't, I don't need to oh improve. God. I don't need to change. I'm perfect. Like that would How be a, narcissistic I, would that be? Exactly. <laughs> so uh, I, I guess putting a, a pin in Witcher 3, the game was so successful. The game was so well-received, critically acclaimed. There must be plans for a Witcher 4, whether or not it's a Geralt story or a series story. Who knows, really? But uh, I'm sure that you'd love to be involved in the franchise going ahead oh yeah yeah of course i mean you know Geralt is um Geralt's part of me hmm. um it, you know people have asked several times more than several times you know that you know how much of you is in Geralt and how much of Geralt is in you and it's really hard to say really but i think that a, as an actor well, the, you know, this is the way I see it anyways. Mm-hmm. The, the, the only thing I can do to create a truthful character is to put myself into the character. Um, you know, we, we talk about, as actors, we talk about being vulnerable in training especially. Um, actors have to be vulnerable, and what that means to a large extent is you have to access bits of you that perhaps you don't like or don't want to acknowledge or... Or bits of you that aren't aren't really you, but they're in there somewhere. Mm. Um, I had someone describe it, it to me. It was an acting teacher who basically said, you know, we can all agree that Hitler was a bad guy, wasn't he? Hitler was a bad guy. Yeah, yep. Hitler was yep. a bad guy. Yeah, we can all agree Hitler was a bad guy. Did Hitler think that he was a bad guy? No, he didn't. So as an actor, you know, you have to find the part of yourself that can be the character Hmm. whoever that character is so no matter what you're doing if you're a good actor you're putting yourself into the character um making yourself a little bit vulnerable or a lot vulnerable so yeah there's a lot of me in Geralt and um and there's a lot of Geralt in me so going forward if there's a Witcher 4 I certainly would hope that they would bring me back as Geralt in whatever capacity he's involved. And they've actually said recently, I, you've probably seen it, um, they've, there's, um, I don't know if there's a video. I haven't seen a video, but I've seen um, articles and posts chatter. and things like that. Yeah, chatter. Basically, somebody at CD Projekt has said there will be a Witcher 4. 
mm. there will be a f further games in the Witcher um, world. What those are, we have yet to see. Mm. But, you know, one of the owners, uh, one of the founders of CD Projekt is on record saying, we'd be stupid not to have more Witcher games. Yeah. It's a strong brand. It's popular. It's good. We'd be stupid not to make more Witcher games. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it's only just hit its peak, really, as far as people's awareness of, of the series. The Netflix series is going to be huge. Uh, it's going to yeah. be... I feel, I feel like it can only go from strength to strength. And I do wonder if Siri becomes like the protagonist in the next game and maybe Geralt is the, you know, what she was in The Witcher 3 where maybe you play as her, as play as him sometimes and he's there as the mentor figure, which I don't know. I think that it felt like they were kind of passing the torch depending on different endings that, that people got. But what do you think? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think passing the torch is a good way to put it. Um, I... He, this has no basis in any CD Projekt reality. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've not heard anything from anybody at CD Projekt about this. My own thoughts, purely my own thoughts, Musings, are that yes. <clears throat> yeah, are that if there is to be a Witcher Four, it would make sense for Witcher Four to be about Ciri and to be about the worlds that she traveled to that she alludes to mm. in that scene on, um, it's not Skellige, but uh, it's out, out that way in the game, um, on that island, when Geralt finally finds her, and they're in that cabin, and they have the, the, the fire and the hearth, and they're chatting, and Ciri tells Geralt about all these worlds that she's been visiting. That's Witcher 4. Yeah. You know, that would make sense to me. So I... I wouldn't be at all surprised if that's where CD Projekt go with it. Have you heard the theories that she's in cyberpunk as, yeah, as, as, as one of those worlds? I think that would be pretty fun. Well, she talks about it, doesn't she? She talks yeah. about, you know, flying machines and stuff like that. So mm. um, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. You know, I've not been involved in cyberpunk at all so far, but it's not coming out until April. 2020 yes um so there's plenty of time <laughs> yet yeah. for me to become involved if cd project want that to happen but uh yeah i th i think cd project are are cool they are a cool company a cool mm. organization so i i think that they will they will provide their fans with something i think yes i think that's I don't know what it'll be, but you know they they love their Easter eggs. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting, and I I really think it's going to be Cyberpunk's going to be a huge game. Oh, it's going to be it's gonna massive, be hugely successful. I just hope that it's not like so successful that they never want to do anything else. You know, like people are worried with with Rockstar making billions of dollars from Grand Theft Auto Five. That well, we know that there's franchises that they own that they're never going to touch again, like Max Payne and. Uh, bully and, and these other things that you just wonder like why would you leave the cash cow of, of a, a grand theft auto to do anything that's maybe not red dead redemption 2 so i'm confident that you know cyberpunk will do well but they'll come back for the witcher i'm sure there's there's way too much support and, and interest in that series yeah well and, and with with um with cyberpunk they're talking about multiplayer as well um so that'll that'll mm. you know give a whole different angle for players um hmm. 
I don't yeah. think they'll ever do that with Witcher. It wouldn't really make sense. But for Cyberpunk, where the character of V is this kind of, <laughs> I don't know. I don't quite know how to describe V because like androgynous, like yeah, avatar, an avatar basically for the for the player, yeah, where as, as opposed to like a Geralt's a very determined personality, yeah, and he's very he's very defined uh, by the books mm. primarily, but you know also in the games, where V is just you know V can be anything, mm-hmm. yeah. I guess that's another part of the reason that they're going for that first person perspective for the player immersion and that kind of yeah. Thing. Very good. Okay, so there's a few questions that I ask everybody on this podcast, Doug. Uh, what's been the hardest part of getting to where you are right now, as far as your career goes? <laughs> I was going to say something really cheeky, like, "Well, I had to actually crawl out of bed this morning. That was difficult. <laughs> <laughs> getting in front of my microphone was difficult. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think I can point to a particular thing that was the hardest part. Hmm. Um, it's a process." Uh, and it's ongoing and has there been a, a, ch- a particular challenge in your skills as an actor that you feel like you've had to overcome or anything you've f- tried to focus on over the years oh there, um i think there are a number of things and th- th- this isn't this is oh <laughs> this thing just came up which your netflix release date um accidentally leaked it just popped up on my screen <laughs> ironically i'll look at it later it's just funny how things pop up you know um yeah i think i i think the the things that i've struggled with are the things that most actors struggle with um and it's mm-hmm. it's it's things like disappointment you know wanting something wanting a particular job that you've auditioned for and then not getting it um rejection mm. um keeping it real I think it's an it's an industry where occasionally I, I mean, we've we've talked today a little bit about how people are treated, especially if they're in certain roles or positions in the entertainment mm. industry. I've certainly experienced with the attention I've had from uh, performing Geralt of Rivia a certain amount of celebrity status, not massive, not like not like Henry Cavill, but you know, enough mm. to make me kind of have to check in with myself occasionally and say, am I, you know, am I letting my ego get carried away? I think that's kind of a constant effort w- when you have any kind of profile in the industry. I think it's something that actors do anyways, because actors are, mm. to a certain extent, inherently egomaniacs. You have to be a little bit. So it's it's balancing the need for a bit of an ego as an entertainer with being real. <laughs> I like to think that I'm, I, I, I find that balance pretty good. If, if anything, perhaps I, I go too far into the reality. <laughs> uh, yeah. I can things, see with, but... especially voice actors. And I mentioned at the top, how much I love uh, talking to people like you, because sure you, you're this, rock star if you're walking around a gaming convention but then you know you could walk down hollywood boulevard and no one potentially would recognize you at all yeah you you're you're able to live that down-to-earth life but still have that taste of oh man being a rock star you know i i hadn't really thought about it until actually this last march i was at dublin comic-con and i was there with 
with people who actually are I was mildly starstruck there because I was there uh, with Jamie James Marsters who plays Spike in Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, Jonathan Frakes who's number one in Star Trek: The uh, Next Generation, Doug Jones who has played multiple creatures but he's like the, he's the creature in the shape of water, is the most recent most famous oh, yeah. thing, Kevin Sorbo who's Hercules, Hercules yeah. in in yeah um, he's Hercules man. <laughs> Um, you know, I was there. So you get starstruck from these guys, but not from Tom Hanks. <laughs> well, I think it was a different situation with Tom Hanks. I was starstruck there, but um, right. but you know, these guys are these, these guys are my heroes. They, I you know, I I watched their TV shows religiously. I loved them. Um, but I was talking with James Marsters, Spike from Buffy, um, and we were, we were we were just having a chat, and he he's a big fan of of The Witcher. He was a huge fan. He was like, man, I'm feeling starstruck. I was like, I'm feeling starstruck. We were having a mutual kind of fanboy moment, and uh, and he he said, "Oh, we were talking about you know fame and stuff like that." And um, he was like, "Man, Doug, you know, be grateful for you know for being a voice actor, being famous for being a voice actor." He said, "You know, you know, you've got a relative amount of anonymity in public," mm. and he said, "It's." He was basically referring to the fact that he gets recognized. He could be buying body lotion in, in <laughs> you know, CVS pharmacy or something like that or boots or whatever and get recognized and people want to talk to him. And I can do that and nobody knows who I am, you know, and, and people don't recognize my voice. So, yeah, it's it's like I it's it's kind of perfect in some ways. <laughs> But James James brought that home to me. You know, he was like he was like Doug. Yeah. You know, you got best of both worlds, man. <laughs> yeah, you you can just go around talking like Geralt if you ever need to be like an ego boost or something. But even you know? then, people don't make the connection. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't make the connection because right. they're not expecting to hear Geralt's voice come out of this yeah. bald forty-something-year-old guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's certainly uh, not while they're buying milk at the store. <laughs> We actually, I, I was at a, 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 another convention last year, EXP, um, uh, in Florida, and me and um, my handler and another another handler who was uh, handling somebody else. Handlers are the people who kind of look after the people who are at conventions, and hmm. uh, they were going to a, a fancy dress shop to get some stuff, and I said, "Can I come with just to you know get out of Dodge for?" half an hour 45 minutes and we were in this fancy dress shop and uh, we were we were buying stuff and the girl at the till uh she was like oh so what are you guys doing and and and, and i i was just keeping my mouth shut and um, but the uh the girls i was with they were like oh well you know we're part of the convention down the road and, she, and the girl said, oh is that the exp thing the games convention yeah 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 and they were talking about it and stuff like that and um i can't remember exactly how it happened but there, there was no mention of me at all. But she, she, the girl at the till, mentioned that she was a, a big gamer and she loved games. And you know, the girls always would say, "Oh, so what game? You know, what are your favorite games?" And she was like, "The Witcher. The Witcher is my favorite game ever, ever. That's an amazing game." <laughs> and you're like, "Anyone for Gwen?" And I leaned forward like and I said, that. "No, no. I, I was, I was even, I was even less cool than that." I leaned forward and I said, "So, Witcher is your favorite game, is it?" And she's like, yeah, Witcher's my favorite game. I said, really? What do you think of the character of Geralt? 
And she's like, oh, I love Geralt. Oh, I love Geralt. He's such a cool character. I love Geralt. And and she didn't clock it. She just didn't clock it. And it took the girls I was with, they were giggling away. They were laughing. And she was like, what's so funny? The the girl said, what's so funny? And What's wrong with your voice? (laughs) Yeah, well, well, one of them said. Do you need some water? (laughs) Did you you, you realize that you're, you're talking to Geralt? And she was. She just went, oh my god! She went completely bonkers. But it was funny because I was I was doing Geralt's voice to her, and she just she yeah. didn't didn't clock it because I you, you know when you hear that voice you expect the image of Geralt. Hmm. Yeah. If you see what I mean. Yeah, and it's not like it's like Bart Simpson or something where it's like you know instantly no matter where you are when you hear it you know what that is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I suppose not. Yeah. All right, point proven. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, being a teacher, you probably get asked for tips all the time, but what would be your advice to people who want to get into acting, whether it be voice acting or otherwise? Uh, well, I I I'm a firm believer in in training in some way. Um mm. I mean, <laughs> Anybody can be an actor. It's not like accountancy. You know, you can't just rock up and suddenly start calling yourself a certified public accountant. You know, you have to get certified. Um, but acting yeah. is not like that. You can just turn around one day and say, I'm an actor and go get some headshots and start putting yourself out there. But I don't advise that. Um, mostly because it's a really tough industry. It's not easy. And mm doing it as a career where you actually make money doing it is much, much harder than people think. Um, yeah, I guess the teaching side of it, you have to teach people how to like make a career out of it as well as just the art and the skill and the techniques, right? Yeah, do you know, sometimes I... I, I mean, I'm not a teacher at the moment. I may be again in the future. Um but but I, yeah, I left full time teaching two years ago, twenty seventeen. Hmm. Uh, but I still consider myself a teacher. Uh, but one of the things I I often felt as a teacher, I felt a bit like a hypocrite, um, because I was teaching people to do something that I knew damn well. It was unlikely that they were going to make a proper career of. Because it's just so hard. Mm. It's just so hard. Yeah. It's like 0.5% of actors out there are actually making a living just acting. Most actors make some living acting and then do other things to to pay the rent. You know, whether it's working in a shop or, you know, j- just doing other things, flexible work of various kinds. So it's hard. It's really hard. Um, and, you know, there I am teaching them to do something that I know full well they're unlikely to have a proper career doing. But there are benefits to, to studying acting that I think are, are far beyond the monetary ones. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I do actually firmly believe that actors in training learn things that are life skills. Just simple things like engaging their imaginations in, in ways that you often don't have to do for other kinds of degrees. Um, I mean, you certainly do in any art. You know, I could say the same thing about visual arts or, you know, I mean, there are, you know, BA honors drawing degrees, for God's sake. 
You know, you don't need to do a degree in drawing to draw. That doesn't mean, though, that the world doesn't need people who have done that. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. I'm going down a philosophical wormhole. <laughs> but you know, I, I, I think the point is that as a teacher, what I was always aware that I wasn't just teaching people how to act. I was teaching people how to be human beings, how to think. And I guess they're under no delusion that they're all going to be Hollywood superstars as well like you probably go into an acting school knowing that it's not going to be easy don't you well you know it's it, human beings especially young human beings have an amazing capacity to delude themselves <laughs> yeah. so i yes i had many 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 students who showed up on my doorstep at you know at, at university who had the ego and the narcissism and everything else that goes with it um, to think that they were going to get a degree and step out into the world and walk onto the set of EastEnders. One student I knew did, did exactly that. <laughs> One out of yeah. maybe 400 who I saw graduate. Right. But... See, they're the ones I was talking about before who they, they, they listen back to their recording and they go, I'm amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm friends with that particular individual. Um, uh, and uh, he actually called me up the other day. It was, there, it was really sweet because he did literally walk into a main role on EastEnders uh, shortly after graduating. Can't believe that show's still going. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. I know. But he, um, he was a student who I had to tell off uh, several times uh, while he was training with us. But I think that kind of forged a, a, a nice relationship in a weird sort of way. Anyways, he called me recently because he, he was written out of EastEnders in the end. And he had, a, he had a rough year last year, but he called me up to thank me because uh, I was going to a, an event at BAFTA and it was, it, it was an invite plus one. So I had a ticket for myself and I could take someone else with me. And um, my wife wasn't able to come. Uh, so I called him up and I, I said, hey, you know, you want to you want to come to this BAFTA event with me? It's, uh, you know, a bit of hobnobbing and hanging out and stuff like that. Could be fun. Could be a laugh. Um, if nothing else, you know, you and I can hang out, have a couple drinks and have a, have, a, have a good laugh. So he came with me. And while we were there, he met someone. What he th what he was thanking me for was taking him to this event because he decided that he needed to change agents. It's a move that actors sometimes make. And he applied to this particular agency, and they got back to him straight away. And this agent said, oh, well, we've met. I, I, we, we actually know each other. <laughs> and he was like, do we? I, I don't remember meeting you. And um, this agent was like, yeah, we met at the BAFTA event. Um, you were very nice, and me and uh, your friend spent a good half an hour talking about you after after we left BAFTA. Uh, so he got this new agent because she had met him at this BAFTA event that I, I invited him to. I can't remember why I was t telling you that story, but it's kind of, it's, I suppose it's a small world. Because <laughs> he called you um, You know, it's, and it's funny the, funny the influence that you can have. And I said to him, I said, it's funny, you know, the, the ripples that happen when you throw pebbles in the pond. You, know, you don't realize quite what might come of things, but he actually, his career has been reinvigorated with this new agent. And it's all because I, I called him up and said, hey, I got an extra ticket to this BAFTA event. You want to come with? It kind of goes back to the phone call you had about the Witcher 2 auditions. Yeah. It's, like it's these 
these these phone calls you keep having that uh, change the course of your personal histories. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, life's a funny old thing. All right, Doug, thank you so much for your time. The last question I've got for you is if you could do anything and know you wouldn't fail, what would you do? If I could do anything and know I wouldn't fail? Yes. Wow. That's a big one. Wow. Okay, wow. Yeah. Have you got a dream role or well, if you're anything gonna, like that? No, if you're going to do something like that, if you're going to ask questions like that, you have to go really big, don't you? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, some people say they want to go to space, cure world that's, hunger. Well, now see, now you're thinking. Now that's that's in the right <laughs> direction. If I could do anything and know I wouldn't fail, gosh, it would be a toss-up between ending war, full stop, and reversing climate change. <laughs> mm. Maybe literally saving the world. Literally saving the world. There is a piece of Geralt in you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. On a more, you know, more personal level, I suppose, if I could do anything and no, I wouldn't fail, I would, I would love to play one of those big Shakespeare roles on the West End. You know, mm. that would just, that would be a dream job for me. I love stage. I, I mean, I love screen. And I, yeah. I love, I love voiceover work, but stage in front of a live audience, that's always been my, my first love. <clears throat> if I could play one of those big roles the hamlets the Mac macbeths the um benedict the yeah, I, I have played benedict i have played macbeth um but not not on that kind of scale in terms of audience reach <laughs> and stuff like that i'd love to be on the stage at the 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 olivier um uh in the national theater or at the rsc or something like that play one of those big roles and you know yeah. i mean I, I suppose though if i knew i couldn't fail it would take out the the thrill so I'd, i think i'd rather have the risk yeah true yeah that's one way to look at it you just gave me the vision or like i guess the picture in my mind of uh Geralt, like the voice of Geralt doing shakespeare like <laughs> to be or not to be that's the question yeah. whether it is nobler in the mind yeah i think it works <laughs> to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take up arms yeah, something like that. If you're going to do an American accent for, for Shakespeare, then that's the way to do it, I think. <laughs> come on, RSC. Come on, National. We can do this. Get me in there. Yeah. I did say that was my last question, but what what is your favorite line of, of Geralt's? <laughs> God, there's so many lines. <laughs> what, why are you laughing? It, is well, it it's because it's a stupid one, probably. It's some, I, I mean, I use it quite often, actually, when I do video messages I, I do this thing called cameo people yeah i've seen yeah that. so i love that i quite often end my cameo messages with with this which is a Geralt line it's just simply see ya <laughs> <laughs> it works yeah a lot of people they, they send me messages and stuff like that and they'll, they'll say you know things like looks like rain winds howling you know that kind of stuff but those aren't my favorites my favorite is see ya. <laughs> Thank you again, Doug. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been a thrill to hear your story, to kind of go through the career that you've had and I guess uh, your musings and philosophies as well along the way. It's been great. <laughs> Hopefully nobody's sleeping. <laughs> yeah. I haven't put anybody to sleep. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. 
Thank you for listening and thanks to Audio Technica. You can catch Doug on Twitter at DCockle. Of course, you can support this podcast with an iTunes rating. But if you really want to get behind us, head over to patreon.com slash weare8bit where you can support all of the 8-Bit Collective with a monthly pledge from as little as $1 a month to get the bonus content. And of course, get behind podcasts like the Comedy Rewind, my Comedy Rewatch podcast, revisiting the great films of the 90s so get into that one check it out remember you can catch me on twitter at johnny himself but until next episode keep putting in work